We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And with today's show, I'm starting off with sad news, tragic news. If you listened on Monday and Wednesday to Mark and Brian's show, uh, I'm sure you've heard by now about the passing of Donor C founder, Gret Glyer. Absolutely shocking news to hear um, when I heard it last weekend uh, that he had been murdered in his home in Fairfax, Virginia. And, you know, I don't want to make the show about this, but I did want to mention it since it is breaking news as of now. I'm recording this on June 29th. Um, Someone was arrested um, in the case, a FedEx worker um, who apparently was an acquaintance of the family. I'm not going to go into any more details about that or speculate because this is not about that. This is about honoring Gret and the incredible work that he did with Donor C and directing you all uh, to do what you can to help out Gret's family, um, his wife, Heather, and his two very young children. Uh, I think they're both under two um, as they you know, try to, try to pull themselves together to uh, go on with life after this. So there's two ways to donate to help out Gret's family, and that is through there's uh, through DonorSe, Gret's website, or through GoFundMe. Um, easiest way to find it on GoFundMe is just search GoFundMe Gret Liar on DonorSe, and I'll post both of these links on the show notes page at Lines of Liberty. On DonorSe, you can go to DonorSe.com slash project with a capital P slash 15015. I actually tested it out. It has to be a capital P or it doesn't work. So you can uh, either write that down or go visit the show notes page. And please do what you can um, to help out um, the Glier family. Uh, You know, Donor C is such an incredible innovation that Gret Clint came up with. And I think I read that they had raised almost $5 million um, to help fund these projects all throughout the world, mostly mostly in Africa. And, uh, you know, I, at Lines of Liberty, we had the, the honor to, to help out a little bit um, with donating to, uh, to projects. And we did it as a group and we also have done it as, as individuals. But Donor C is something that I've shared with a lot of people. Um, I, I shared it at my previous job um, to people that I worked with, and I know people were blown away by the innovation and the idea, and I know it's done a lot to shake up uh, the charity industry. Please do what you can to uh, to lift up uh, Gret's family, and I would encourage everyone to continue or to start looking into these projects on DonorSe. And if, you have, if you're not familiar with how it works, you actually pick out the project. For example, there's, there's projects to help kids, you know, get clothes to, uh, to go to school or to uh, dig a well or to, to build a school. All kinds of different levels of different projects that you can directly see the progress and completion and hear from the people who benefited from the charity. Really a remarkable innovation. Gret, you know, I didn't know him personally, but I, I did hear him, you know, several times on Mark's podcast and his authenticity, his just caring nature just came across uh, so, so clearly um, in those interviews. And this world is definitely, definitely a, a lesser place without him, but his legacy will live on. So please consider donating on DonorC or through the GoFundMe. And with that, guys, we will get into today's show. All right. We are live. I'm live here today with Luke Tatum. Luke is the founder of Perfect Spiral Capital, 
It's an exclusively IBC-focused financial firm. And you might be saying, what is IBC? We're going to talk about what that is um, in this interview. It's one of the main reasons that I asked Luke to come on the show. But it stands for Infinite Banking Concept. And just to give you a brief overview of Luke, then I'm sure he'll give a much more broad introduction. But he discovered IBC back in 2016 and started doing it on his own um, with his family after studying the subject for a few years. Uh, He saw the power in the process and decided to get into the industry uh, so he could help set others up uh, to help help them with their financial lives. After seeing the industry up close and, and the status quo of the industry, he decided to go in on his own and started his own firm. Luke, welcome to Finding Freedom. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you on the show, man. And, you know, as you know, a little my history with the show, starting with Felony Friday, then shifting to Finding Freedom. One of the reasons why I did this shift is because, you know, I wanted to have the flexibility to talk about things that I was interested in and things that I thought my audience, you know, would be interested in. You know, if it's entrepreneurial things or or financial investments. um, And, you know, I've seen you and I've I've talked to you uh, before a little bit about IBC. But, you know, I've seen you posting about it and uh, the firm that you started. And I figured, why not bring you on and help to educate all of us about how it works and what it is? Because people have a lot of questions about it. Um, but before we do that, you know, I gave you an introduction. Um, you know, when, when you meet someone on the street or you meet someone, um, you know, do people meet on in person anymore? Is it all, is it all uh, remote <laughs> and, <laughs> on Zoom? It's but, mixed. But, but, <laughs> When you meet a new, a new person, how do you describe what you do? Well, I I like to joke with people and just ask, do you want the short version or the long version? You Let's know, go because... with the long one. This is a podcast, <laughs> as, as long as possible. <laughs> right. So in that case, I, I teach people how to become their own banker. And what that means is to stop paying third-party lenders with interest, you know, that they're not really doing anything for. They're giving you money, and then you're repaying back. And... But you could pay yourself that money is effectively what IBC is, is you're recapturing the interest that would go to someone else. Um, I just briefly, uh, I'll say that right before this, this morning, I was talking to someone with a 30-year mortgage and they just refinanced. So they have a brand new 30-year financing package. And by the end of that period, if they just pay, you know, the regular payments, they're going to pay more to the bank then they pay on the house, right? The, the mm-hmm. interest exceeds the principal. And I mean, wouldn't it be nice to, to capture the entire purchase price of a house again <laughs> on top of that? Uh, but that's just an example. Yeah. And, and I mean, and that's probably with lower rates and people today, you know, opening a mortgage now to, to buy a house, they're going to be paying almost double what they're paying them. What we were able to finance, you know, a, a mortgage with a few years ago. So just imagine right. that. Um, but let, let's talk about a little bit of your origin story, how you got interested into it. I mean, what, what was your, have you always had like a, a finance background with, with what you did career-wise or where did you, where'd you come from? <laughs> well, I, yes and no, I guess on that. Mm-hmm. I, I did all sorts of just random things. I mean, I used to deliver flowers. I used to deliver auto parts from like a distributorship to stores mm-hmm. or shops, body shops. And you know, so I did all kinds of things. My longest tenure in one thing was actually in retail, like middle management and retail. And, you know, part of that is business analysis. So I started learning spreadsheets really well just by doing the job. And so I kind of had, a, I guess, an attunement for that. I was good at math in school, you know, and that sort of thing. But I, I had no inkling of getting into a heavily spreadsheet focused job. I mean, for I, most of my life, I, I thought there's no way I would ever do that. It sounds boring and repetitive. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, I, I discovered liberty, if you want to phrase it that way, in 2011. I started to get into all the Mises Institute stuff and just, you know, absorb every book that I could. Well, I got into Bob Murphy, uh, who I consider to be the best living economist right now. Mm-hmm. And he, Bob Murphy one day decided to mention on the uh, Tom Woods show that he was doing a new podcast and it was about IBC. And it's like, what is IBC? You know, kind of what we're talking about now. Mm -hmm. And so I I sort of followed that rabbit hole. And 
you know, you mentioned when you did your intro for me, which I appreciate very much, you know, it took me a couple of years before I actually decided this actually makes sense and I want to move forward with it. And so, you know, that time is lost. There's nothing I can do about that. Should I have started in 2016 instead of 2018? Yes. But the the idea is just, <laughs> it requires so much unlearning of everything that mm-hmm. you kind of already know about, or, you know, quote unquote know about how the world works. Right. That for me, it took a long time. I mean, before I came to the the ideas of liberty, I was like, I was a Democrat kind of. And, you know, I just didn't know anything, basically. I, I bought into political promises and then I learned to stop doing that. And so I sort of feel the same way about this. I bought into, oh, just max fund your 401k and you're going to retire a multimillionaire. And then I stopped doing that because I actually started to understand what the assumptions were. And anyway, once I got into it, I mean, it was very much a second finding of like the liberty thought environment for me because I've said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> and kind of had to take a few steps back and really walk through it step by step. And, you know, I heard about IBC. I said, that's awesome. Except what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? I had all these objections to it. And then it's sort of like, well, okay, that makes sense. But I still have five objections, and then there's four, and then there's mm-hmm. three. And eventually, I just, I was like, this is the greatest thing in the world. So, decided I wanted to figure out how to get into the industry, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, it's purely because of that. I, I really have no interest in, even though I'm licensed, I have a Series 6 and 63. Like, I can sell 401k plans to companies, but I don't want to do that. I have no mm-hmm. interest in doing that. Because I don't believe in that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, not to make it a faith statement, right? Because it's not you believe in IBC or you believe in 401ks. And I'm pitting them against each other maybe unfairly. But it's, uh, I just, I have, it doesn't inspire me. It's not interesting. I, I don't want to do that. But I do want to do IBC. So maybe that answers the question. <laughs> maybe it doesn't. No, I think I think that does answer the question, and it's it's interesting that you were talking about so your your, your liberty journey, how you were a Democrat before, mm-hmm. and sort of comparing that to you know IBC and having to to relearn um, how you look at finances, and I, I wonder if that if that helped you. You had already unlearned so much going from uh, the Democrat to libertarian transition, and then doing the same thing on on the finance side. So I found that found that interesting, but it's. Is it is it rare for for someone to have your type of journey there where you just or is, is this maybe how people you know become um, IBC representatives is that they just discover it and are become so passionate about it that they start their you know start a firm or decide to uh, you know be, become an agent or is is that typically how it happens or is your story unique? Well, I you know I I don't know everyone's story, so I guess I should. Mm-hmm preface with that right but for me i discovered one of the books on my bookshelf back there for anyone audio only like you can't see that it's becoming your own banker by nelson nash he's Mm -hmm. the person who invented the term infinite banking concept and you know that's a whole whole story in and of itself like what does that name even mean because to me when i first heard that it sounded like oh it's like a you know, make money quick kind of scheme, right? It's mm-hmm. it's uh, infinite. It's just not a word I would ever associate with like a legitimate financial strategy because I mean, I wasn't understanding it the way he was understanding it basically mm-hmm. is what that boiled down to. But, but I mean, for my part, I read that book. I, I pretty much was attached to the fact that I really like Bob Murphy. I, I know that he's a genius. I know mm-hmm. that he understands what he's talking about. And so for me, it was it was from the Austrian side, right? I yeah. when I was working in just the financial industry with lots and lots of other people who didn't care about IBC, a lot of them owned a copy of that book, and yet they would do things completely contrary to what is written in that book, right? And so it it's like a kind of casting a wide net trying to get people that are interested in that, but without actually really diving in and really understanding what's going on. And I mean, there are not a lot of IBC practitioners. You can go on the infinitebanking.org website and you can go mm-hmm. to your state. They have a practitioner finder and you can see how many 
people are in your state. In Arkansas, there are four, including me. <laughs> so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not a huge thing, uh, but they, they have a think tank dedicated to it. And I mean, the standards are pretty high to get in to the program, which I think is part of it, because you, you don't just have to be able to run uh, an illustration for one of these products. You have to be able to understand, like, what is Austrian business cycle theory? Like, how do these all connect to each other? Um, so anyway, long, long, long answer. But in my opinion, I mean, it, within the industry, there are tens, if not hundreds of thousands of financial professionals running around, and they're basically taught what their company teaches them. And mm-hmm. that's all they know. And sometimes that information is not really that great uh, to be mild. I mean, I'm not going to throw any company under the bus in particular. But I've just I've heard some really like tone deaf things from people. And, you know, they're they're just trying to earn money. They're trying to support their families. No harm, no foul. But in some cases, there is harm being done. And so, uh, you know, (laughs) I I sort of got into that, saw what was going on and then decided to back out uh, because if you if you don't understand like the basics of how interest works and the basics of of opportunity cost is really what this boils down to, Mm -hmm. then you just you just really don't have any business teaching people like to throw all this money into stock market investments and annuities and all these other things. Yeah. Uh, that's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree with you. Um, and you know the interactions that, that I've had with people in those roles, uh, yeah, a lot of it is from my perspective. And this is not, I mean, there's a lot of good people in in the industry, I'm sure, but. It's it's just talking points, just uh, right. regurgitating talking points. But so let's, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to really ask this this question. But <laughs> <laughs> I guess take us from the the ground level up, and, and you know I'm not expecting you know your your full presentation, but at, at a high level, so you know somebody who um, doesn't know anything about IBC and uh, you know wants to learn. Just at a high level, how it works. Sure. Uh, well, I'll do my best and, and ask questions like interrupt yeah. me if you want, right? Uh, because mm-hmm. I find I, I don't really have a sales process. I think that financial companies, generally speaking, they, they have a this is the script, say this script, you're going to make money kind of an approach. And I just, I basically have arranged things. So I've completely rejected that. <laughs> and so um, I just have conversations with people. Mm-hmm. I, it's a lot of phone calls and, and video calls and just discussion yeah. like this, really. So somebody doesn't have any idea what it is. Hey, you know, I, I saw your Facebook post. Let's chat. Cool. It's, first of all, getting it out there, what we're actually talking about. IBC is a process. It's not a product. Okay, the the process is recapturing interest that you would be paying to some other institution. Uh, mm-hmm. You, you know, there, there's three ways to do things, right? You you pay interest to somebody else because you took a loan or you paid on a credit card or whatever, or you pay cash. And the illusion is that you're not giving anything up if you pay cash. Well, you are giving things up if you pay cash because you're bank account balance decreases by whatever the amount is, $5,000, $10,000, and then you don't get to earn any money on that, right? If you spend $10,000, the money is gone, mm-hmm. and it never provides you anything else except for the item that you purchased. Well, in this system, you put the $10,000 into something else, and I'll get there what that is, and then you take a loan against your other asset to buy whatever it is you want to buy, a used car. And then you pay over time back into that. You pay yourself the interest. And then by doing so, I mean, it just compounds and compounds. It's actually the only uninterrupted compounding instrument that is really worth considering. There's two. There's savings accounts and there's IBC. (laughs) It's structured the way that I would tell you to. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, a savings account pays you like half of 1% interest. So like, that's kind of a joke. So really, there's one, there's really one. Um, So what I'm talking about, and I, you know, people stop listening, right? As soon as I say this, I'm sure, but it's a whole life insurance policy. It's Mm -hmm. the most boring and old financial instrument that there is. Um, People have been taking policy loans since the 1890s to finance things. 
And I mean, so it, an important point is that that way precedes the tax code. The policies themselves are way older than 1890. It's just the policy loan provision kind of came in later on. But let, let me let me ask a question just just on that because I I, yeah. I have a, a term life policy and I have I've converted some of that term to to whole life so okay. I'm a little bit familiar but I'm sure there's people listening who are like what the heck is whole life and okay. so maybe if you could just explain like term life whole life what's the difference and uh, between the two Absolutely. Or, yeah explain explain what they are I guess yeah 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 um so I mean term life insurance right you're trying to you're trying mm-hmm. to solve for the risk that you might die, right? You're, right? you're leaving a financial loss as well as the loss of your personality and all the wonderful things associated with you if you leave this world. And so how do you solve for that? Well, one way is to pay a, a fixed premium to a company that will then indemnify your family. They'll pay a death benefit of a certain fixed amount uh, in case of your death. Now, if you have a term life policy, that's maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years, maybe 30 years of term insurance. So if you live for 30 years, well, then you're not insured or it may be very expensive to continue the policy that you that you took out uh, previously. You know, if you if you take a policy out at 25 and it's a 50 year, I mean, excuse me, a 30 year term, you're 55 whenever the policy is up. Okay, well, you might actually want insurance when you're 55 because you might actually be likelier to die at 55 plus, you know. Mm-hmm. And so there's nothing mysterious about that, right? It, it gets more expensive the older you get. If you take a policy out when you're 20, it's cheaper. If you take a policy out when you're 50, it's more expensive. Whole life is an insurance policy that doesn't expire. It's not a term policy. It's the rest of your life. Uh, technically speaking, a modern whole life policy is a uh, to age 121 policy. So one way to think about it is it's term that's priced and as though you're going to live to your 121 years old. But whole life, because the company knows that they have to pay you, is uh, it's got a whole bunch of other features and other things going on besides term. If you live one day past your term policy... You just don't have insurance or you have to renew. And if you can't get insurance because you're not healthy anymore, that's a problem. Whole life, you you make the decision. You have a fixed premium payment for many, many years in a lot of cases. But you don't have to worry about it, right? You you have insurance forever. Now, the, the fact that they owe you money in the future creates a present value. This gets into a whole bunch of complicated things, and you steer me aside if you don't want to get into mm-hmm. all the weeds on it. But, you know, the closer that you get to maybe they're going to have to pay you, the more value that has in the present, the more value the death benefit has now. And so there's a thing called a cash surrender value, but only in a permanent life insurance policy. Mm-hmm. Cash surrender value is, okay, because we're on the hook, the insurance company, for $500,000, if you were to walk away today, we would pay you 300000 or whatever the amount is, however far you are into it. So we're giving you the money. We've already earned interest on it over this time by investing it. But, uh, you know, if you're going to take us off the hook for the five five hundred k then great. I mean, it's just – it's a calculation. It's got a guaranteed scale in the life insurance illustration whenever you sign up for it you'll you'll know exactly mm-hmm. what it will be um and then on top of that you want to earn dividends and all these other things it gets very complicated and interesting but that that's the basic mechanics right there mm-hmm. okay no and, and that makes sense to me and that's that's the way that i understand it um yep. to be uh so the aspect that, that you're talking about with, with ibc and you can go ahead and explain this, but it's it's that cash value that you would borrow against, correct? Or correct. I, yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's a number of ways, and I'll I'll you know spare everyone the the mm-hmm. fine details on on this podcast of how it's done. But there's a way right. that you want to build these, and it it depends on your situation, your age, your health, whether or not you're a smoker. You know all these different things. 
as to what's going to make the most sense for an individual person or family or business or nonprofit or whatever. But you you structure it in such a way that there's going to be a lot more cash value at the beginning than there otherwise would be. Uh, you're you're basically you're going to put in more money than you have to <laughs> is one way of thinking about it into the policy and such that your your cash value rises very fast your death benefit is going to rise also and then if you're doing this with a mutual insurance company meaning you're a part owner of the company you took the policy out with then whenever they're profitable they pay a dividend and you earn a dividend well you can pay your dividend back into the policy and buy more insurance and kind of keep the whole thing going. That's where the compounding comes in. Okay. Now, people will say, okay, that's how a savings account works, or okay, I might want to use my house. And there's all sorts of reasons why I would tell you not to do those things. Because you have equity in your house, right? You could take a, mm-hmm. a, a loan out against your house and do something. Well, your house doesn't pay you a dividend. And if you can't pay the loan back, they might take your house. You know, there's, there's all kinds of problems. <laughs> but... This is a an asset that you control. You're listed in the contract as the policy owner. You're the only person who can make any decisions about it. One of those decisions would be, okay, what kind of an interest rate do I want to pay myself on this loan that I'm taking? Because you own both things, right? You own your money. You own your money that you put in the policy. Hmm. And so now it's not a one-to-one thing. There's, you know, there's a bunch of nuance here. I'm, I'm being brief, but yeah. you... You get the benefit of this immediately, and then you start earning dividends. Your dividends reinvest. And then at a certain point, there's going to be more money in there than you started with, and then it's going to grow faster and faster and faster and faster. Now, I can't promise you that a dividend is going to be paid, but most of these companies have paid a dividend for over 100 years in a row, you know, which is longer than the entire stock market has existed. So <laughs> there's that too. But, you know, is it going to earn what a stock market investment would earn? No, probably not. But it's definitely going to only increase. The cash value on one of these cannot decrease unless you make it decrease, mm-hmm. right? So it's a, at minimum a buffer against volatility in your other investments. Now, this itself, I don't consider to be an investment. This is a place to store your money. So my my position is you should do this with your regular money, not your I'm going to invest this for the future. This is mm-hmm. instead of a savings account, this is what you should be using. Um, so instead that, of a savings account or even instead of – you're saying it's not an investment though, but at the beginning you were comparing it to a 401k. So would you say store it? Here rather than a four hundred one k, or what's what's your well? No, um, you know, by no means are they exclusionary, right? Mm -hmm. You can you can do one or the other or both. I personally don't have a four hundred one k, but that doesn't mean anything. You know, you you can do what you want to do. Some people are a lot better at investing in stocks than I am, but and that's a whole big thing. I'm I'm writing a book, and I'll go into this. It's got a whole big mathematical proof on on whether or not this will this will work out for you in the long run. Uh, But, you know, the stock market does not earn 10% per year. Like people will say, oh, the S&P 500 makes 10% per year. It it doesn't. Uh, Mm -hmm. If it compounded at 10% per year, you would make fabulous amounts of money. That would be a fantastic place to put your money. No question. The stock market doesn't compound continuously. It goes up and down. Every time it goes down, you've interrupted the compounding. Right. So it's yeah. it's a complete like right now thing. <laughs> it's yes. happening right now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, it, it's not up 10 percent. It's just. Yeah. Not. Um, so there's the calculation and I, I'll just put this out there. You're free to Google it or use whatever search engine you'd like to use that isn't Google. Uh, it's called the compound annual growth rate or average growth rate, uh, C-A-G-R. And that is an accurate, accurate measure of something earning money over time and then considering like what period of time it took to earn that Mm -hmm. interest. So you need a final value in order to run that calculation. Uh, But you might, if you're looking at a 30 year period in the stock market, you might get a CAGR of about 5%, uh, which over a 30 year period, you'll probably get about three in one of these policies. So 
okay. Um, and this is money that you can then use in the stock market. That's that's kind of the idea. You save your money in a savings vehicle. This is a savings vehicle, IBC mm-hmm. is. And then when you want to make an investment, take it out of your policy and then invest it. Make the intra- make the returns you're going to make. Pay off your policy loan, and and you know mm-hmm. do it again basically. <laughs> uh, so if you do that, it it becomes a uncontrollable amount of opportunity. Whereas people just sort of live by this principle of oh I'll just put in money in the stock market and then I'll have money right I mean that's what I'm against I'm against people just pushing responsibility on Wall Street people that are mm-hmm. earning money off of their four hundred one k balance with taking without taking any risk themselves you put the money in they charge a fee that's how it works right they're getting plenty rich off of you and it doesn't matter if the stock market goes up or down they still get to charge their fee. So, anyway, I, I'm getting way, way far afield now, John. But <laughs> uh, no, but no, no, it's a it's, problem yeah, it's in all, my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, it, so there's yeah the, the people who, and I'm I'm guilty of this and have me guilty of this where, um, or no, not, guilty is not the right word. It's just one of those things that we've been taught where right you know like you were you know explaining before that this just assumed interest rate as you you know put money into your 401k you put it into those you know when you're young you put it into the whatever the 2050 fund or whatever uh-huh, it is whatever your uh-huh. retirement age is and yes you put it in there and you 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 match what your company's giving to giving you and you're you're guaranteed to be to be a millionaire if you do that which uh not not so much the case as uh <laughs> as we're learning now with with you know what's happening with the market um so to kind of play off of that, yeah. what's happening today, a lot of inflation. So does how does IBC or does it protect against inflation? And how could people use or could they use IBC to protect themselves against inflation? Sure. Uh, great question. Now, inflation is a confusing topic, right? So... Mm-hmm. There's there's all sorts of things going on with that. Um, I guess we won't talk about causes. I think we probably, <laughs> on your show, probably most people are pretty yeah. familiar with what's going on there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, okay, if you're just going to take it as a given, inflation's happening, you want to use official numbers and say it's you know 8% or, or whatever, that's higher than what an IBC policy will compound at. Okay, it is. But your your vehicle here, the way in which people are implementing IBC when I work with them is through a whole life insurance policy, right? The the basic component of that is you have a fixed premium for the rest of your life or for the time period specified. So say it's $1,000 a year that you're paying into this policy. Well, if inflation is occurring and everything out in the market is getting more expensive, it means your dollars are worth less. That means the thousand dollars that you must pay into your policy to keep it in force is also worth less, right? Mm-hmm. So, the money that's in there is going to perform way better than money in a savings account, which is, you know, to me that's the closest comparison available for what's going on. But you can spend it and earn the interest rate, so you could buy an investment to beat inflation and. They'll pay you a dividend while you're spending your money, which is mm-hmm. if you want to say there's like magic in IBC, that is the magic. It's you get to both earn the interest and spend the money, which is just incredible. So it depends on what you're using it for. If you're using a policy loan to renovate your home, no, it's not going to beat inflation. If you're right. using it to buy a franchise, buy a small business, you know, purchase land to speculate on that price mm-hmm. increase, something like that. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's going to beat inflation to the extent that your investment performs, plus the dividends that the company paid you while you were making your investment. Right. So it's not a bad deal. No, and that's that's exactly that's exactly what I was. That that's how I look at. Um, IBC, and that's what I mean. You talk about buying land to as an investment. That's like really what got me interested in looking at it, because because I, I buy and sell land on the side. So that that hit the nail on the head for me. Another question: Maybe this isn't 
I mean, this isn't really a fair question targeted towards <laughs> IBC, but I just kind of want to get your opinion on it because, okay. you know, I, I could ask the same question to someone who worked for, you know, one of the major financial institutions who worked at Fidelity offering 401ks or, or, or whatever. But so the dollar crashes, what, what happens? What, what, is, is that, is that something that, I mean, cause as, as, as libertarians, I think we're all kind of, you know, in this boat where, you know, we've seen the possibility of this ship sinking for a while with the federal reserve, you know, pumping out trillions and trillions of dollars, just inflating the, the money supply, and you, you hear whispers in the background of a central bank digital currency, a, a CBDC, and you know this. I'm not asking like a, a gotcha question. I'm honestly just curious about, as someone who works in, in IBC, just what, what your opinions are on this whole situation. Yeah. Uh, well, on the subject of digital currency, I wrote, I think it's the longest article that I've written on my blog, so perfectspiralcapital.com slash blog. Uh, it's just called CBDC, and it's uh, it's a whole big look at, at everything. And of course, it talks about IBC. But the, I mean, the, the unfortunate truth is people talk about gold and silver, talk about all sorts of other things, cryptocurrency, et cetera, et cetera, what you should be doing to prepare for the crash of the dollar. Well, when the dollar crashes, I mean, things are going to get really, really, really bad. And so physical stuff is going to be the best thing to own. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, gold and silver is probably part of that. So in my article, I talk about buying some gold and silver, having a job that you control instead of a job that somebody else controls, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. But any investment stuff, I mean, the stock market, Wall Street-based things, all of that is not going to – it's not going to survive and life insurance companies, if the, if the dollar is eliminated, are probably not going to survive either because governments have a tendency to hold on as long as they can. There'll probably be mm -hmm. hyperinflation, that sort of thing. And, you know, hyperinflation just wipes out insurance companies. They're fixed investment portfolio companies, right? However, that doesn't mean you can't use this process, utilize it to buy investments and do different things and make money. In the meantime, mm -hmm. the great thing about taking a policy loan is nobody can tell you no. So if you think that things are coming down, take all your money out and then go buy hard assets. And I mean, that that's mm -hmm. if that's what's happening, that's what you should do with your money. But I just, you know, my perspective is in 2008, I was talking about buying gigantic 55-gallon drums for water storage and, and starting to get into the prepper mindset and all of that because I was like, wow, QE, this is crazy, man. We're going to inflate the dollar mm -hmm. into oblivion. Yeah. And it's been a minute since that happened, right? And, and I, if I had known about IBC and started back then, like, I, I can't even fathom how much I would have been yeah. able to use it in that time frame. So I just – I hesitate to get so caught up on that because it's like you're missing an opportunity that's right now available. Uh, this is a way, since we're talking about inflation, to not participate in the inflation of the dollar. Your money, when you deposit it in a bank, a bank account, savings account, they mm -hmm. can loan out you know, 90% of that, right? It inflates the currency. The, all the commercial banks are inflationary. A life insurance policy is not inflationary. They can't lend your money to someone else. They're managing the investment of their you know, general fund to earn dividends and to do all these things. But all the money is always there all the time. So if you want it, it's yours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, there's no yeah. run on a life insurance company. So yeah, that, it's a better that, place. Yeah, sa safer place from that perspective for yep. sure. They're not gonna they're not gonna go go bankrupt. Right. Um, and I, I think I think that's a really good answer. And it reminds me of, and I, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not crapping on Peter Schiff, but I'll just use this as an example because I, I do think Peter has done, he's done tremendous work, and yeah. he, he's he's right. The dollar is going to eventually collapse, and you know, like like you just said, acquiring gold and silver is. I think it's good. I think everyone should should have some gold and silver, but. You know, Peter was saying this back in the early early two thousands that the dollar is going to collapse, everything's on fire. You know, it's going to be terrible, and 
It's been 20 years, and yeah. you know what's Peter Schiff's portfolio look like? I mean, is it, did he miss out on you know this this huge run that we had in stocks and the, all the real estate investments? And maybe he is investing in that stuff, but I don't think his company is with his with his clients. Maybe he is somewhat, but I think it's mostly just in you know gold stocks and mining stocks and, and things of that nature. Right. So yeah, there, there's a way to be an Austrian and understand it. But also, yeah, figure out a way to both mitigate the risk of you know the the worst possible outcome while living in the current day and making as much money as we can in the current day. So I think that was uh, that was a really good answer. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I honestly didn't know what to expect asking it. Like I, I just want I just wanted your opinion. So if that if that came off like uh, kind of out of left field. But, no, uh, no, I, I appreciate you not giving me a free pass, you know, and just not asking the hard <laughs> questions. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, so I wanted to give you some time here to, you said you have a book coming out. So talk about your book a little bit and why you decided to write it. And you said it's 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 pending, it's going to be released, what, this year? Or when do you think I, it'll be I out? Cross crossed fingers for this year. I'm trying to beat the holiday season with it. So mm-hmm. I'm not ready to announce the name. I don't have any cool links to share just yet, but... Uh, putting a lot into that, investing quite a bit of resources and time into it. It's a, currently about halfway through the first uh, the first draft of the book, so a lot a lot left to go. But it's it's a book about IBC and its applications, and so the first half of the book, roughly, is problems that exist out there. Uh, the analysis that I mentioned before of what actually is the performance of a stock market investment over time, you know, not just saying, oh, it earns 10% per year and multiplying mm-hmm. your balance by 10% because that's wrong. <laughs> it's it's factually incorrect to do that. And, you know, it, it, et cetera, right? So just all the different problems and sort of setting up inflation, setting up the Federal Reserve, all of this. And then in the second part, I'll take to looking at IBC as a solution to those things. And, you know, of course, the stock market's going to be what the stock market's going to be, but how you pull money to invest in the stock market if you choose to do that is a totally different issue. And so it's about what you can control and how, what, what is the way to maximize the effectiveness of your saving and not just, you know, give free meals to other people left and right, mm-hmm. stock market investors. Uh, but the IBC portion of the book, is really going to get extremely, extremely detailed. So I have lots and lots of numbers that, you know, look at over time, 25-year-old male, uh, what is his life like? If he realizes all the problems in the system and he decides to only pay cash the rest of his life for everything versus person with the exact same situation, same health, same lifespan, et cetera, using IBC and just... You're looking at that. So cash-only guy is investing in the 401k, the same amount that would go into IBC. And, you know, it's not a fair comparison to put the two against each other, but, you know, the returns in a 401k is a totally different question from what are the opportunities with the money that's in my mm-hmm. 401k. And so, you know, spoiler alert, the IBC person does much, much better. <laughs> but it's going to be a fun look at yeah. things and i just i want to just show that it you know it's it's not sufficient to say this is the rate of return because that, it drives me up a wall man <laughs> and so that'll be you know news coming out about that hopefully soon on perfectspiraldecapital.com and of course if you're on facebook and all that feel free to follow me there i'll be posting lots about it there but yeah looking forward to it all right so you you said your links there it's perfect spiral What's what's the website again? One more time. Spiralcapital.com. Okay. And what what are your socials? One more time. Oh, um, I don't have my, uh, I don't have them handy, man. I they're all convoluted uh, no links and all that okay. stuff. I can send them to you if you yeah, want. I'll, to put them in yeah, yeah. I'll post. Well, you you send me a bunch of stuff, uh, links and stuff to post. Um, I'll put that stuff on the show notes page so people can go to uh, lionsofliberty.com and uh, find that all on the show notes page. And I, I look forward to to reading your book, um, because I mean th- this is like I mentioned during the, you know 
the beginning part of the show, I do have you know life insurance policies. I've converted some to whole life, which is pretty was a pretty recent decision for me, and something that that I battled back and forth with quite a bit, just because it's I, I really struggle with with unlearning stuff, which, which is <laughs> right, which is strange to say because you know I you know, I've certain things I struggle with unlearning. I should say I I made the transition to be a libertarian very quickly, coming from the neoconservative side. And there's some things that you just see that, you know, with, when your eyes are open to the wars and things like that, it's like, oh, my gosh. And it's just immediate um, unlearning. But financial things, I, I, I really struggle with, like, you know, just wrapping my mind around, um, for example, like with 401ks. And I, I still you know, give my company match with a 401k. But, I mean, the, the more that I look at things, the way things are in the world right now um, – and doing the calculations of really how much am I losing by not getting that match um, versus the, you know, the opportunity cost of having that um, all of that, all those resources locked up. Um, Not that I can't invest, but I can only invest in, you know, the stocks and different mutual funds that I'm allowed to. Right. So it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating topic. And I mean, I think you're doing a great job explaining it that it doesn't just come down to interest rate. You have to look at the entire picture and all of the other tools and, uh, and things that come with it. So before I let you go, one last question I want to ask, is there any, this is kind of a, a, not a tricky question, but some people are taken off guard by it, but is there anything I didn't ask you about with regards to IBC or, or anything else that you think is, is really important for someone to know or, is there a- anything else that you'd like to leave some parting words with uh, for my audience? Sure. Uh, you know, I mentioned before Becoming Your Own Banker, uh, that book will change your life. I, I tell, mm-hmm. say people, uh, say that to people all the time. Things, it opens up new doors in your brain whenever you look at it. It's very simple. It's very short. It's 92 pages in print. And a oh, lot yeah. of it is charts of numbers. You know, like you, you can easily read it in an afternoon, but going over it again and again, it's where you start to go, oh, wait, no, I was completely wrong about this. And you start to figure things out. And so that, I mean, at least until my book comes out, please read that. But even when my book is out, and I say this in the introduction, it doesn't replace that. It's mm-hmm. it's a supplement. You know, that I don't know that anyone will ever have a more down to earth and grounded explanation of the concepts because it's all metaphors and things in there and so mm-hmm. just little stories you can kind of remember to go oh wait a minute i'm stealing the peas from the grocery store if you don't know what that means well <laughs> you should read the book so i would just encourage everyone get on infinitebanking.org and absorb the resources there and if you have questions i mean it's literally my job to answer them whether you want to work with me or not if you don't like me great go talk to somebody else but i like it when people understand the concepts so more than happy to uh, to have the conversation. All right, Luke Tatum, thanks for coming on the show, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, John. Bye. Hey, taking a quick break here to tell you about a podcast you should check out from our friend Justin Campbell. It's called the Fact Check This Podcast. If you're fed up with fact checkers flagging everything as misinformation without actually backing it up, then you should definitely join Justin every Monday and Wednesday to fact check the fact checkers, and to get the truth about what's going on in the world. Check it out everywhere podcasts are found. Fact check this. Hey, I want to tell you guys about another podcast. It's called the Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy Podcast. It's hosted by friend of the show, Jacob Winograd. What is the podcast about? It is an ongoing evaluation of how a Christian should view the state and human authority. It dives into the principles of libertarianism, and it explores the entanglements between the church and the state in order to bring Christians and the church back to practicing the mantra of no king but Christ. There's episodes about philosophy, anarchism, politics, economics, and, of course, interviewing interesting guests. Check it out, the Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy Podcast with Jacob Winograd. Well, that is a wrap on today's show. Really hope you enjoyed getting to hear from my guest, Luke Tatum. Uh, Like I said, you know, at the top of the show, and like I've said many times, one of the reasons that I changed 
from Felony Friday to Finding Freedom is because I wanted to have the ability to talk about interesting subjects, to talk about finances, to talk about business, to talk about health, all these different things that that are so important in helping an individual to navigate uh, the very uncertain and turbulent waters of these times. And sure, there is a time and place to talk about philosophy and to talk about the ideals of liberty. But to be perfectly honest with you, my heart and my passion right now is in application and in with helping other people to um, find tools that they can apply to their lives to make it better right now or in the near term um, or to stack wins over time and to make life better in the long term. So I'm going to do everything I can to provide you um, guests who give you the the resources, the information, um, so you can make uh, the best and most informed decisions um, with that information. I'm not going to make the decision for you, but I'm certainly going to do my best to present it for you. So hopefully you're enjoying that new format. And if you are, hopefully you've gone over to my new uh, solo Finding Freedom podcast feed and left me a, a five-star rating and a nice review and you're subscribed to the show and you're supporting me there. And obviously, hopefully you're also supporting the Lions of Liberty network feed, which has Mark and Brian's show and uh, the great things that, of course, we're doing with our, our Patreon um, and our and all the bonus content that we have, the early access um, that we give to these interviews and the community that we are building uh, with Lions of Liberty. So please go check that out, patreon.com slash lionsofliberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com. That's where you can become a member of the Lions of Liberty Pride. And of course, you can check out all of our gear, all of our Lions of Liberty shirts and merchandise and all that stuff at lionsofliberty.store. That's all I have for today. Hopefully you enjoyed this show as much as I did. And if you ever have any ideas or topics you'd like me to cover or guests you'd like me to talk talk to, as always, you can reach out to, out to me on, on Twitter, at John Odermatt, or on Facebook. You can find me there on Instagram, at John Odermatt. Or you can send me an email, john at lionsofliberty.com. That is all I got for today, guys. I will talk to you all next week. Hopefully, everyone has an awesome 4th of July weekend. Be safe. Eat a lot of food. Drink some beer. Relax. Enjoy yourself, people. Come on. You know how to enjoy yourself. Get out there. Talk to people. Mingle. Be normal. Be a normal person. And always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.